We continue now with the sermon that we did halfway last week, as I warned you. So here is part two. The entirety of the, the lesson is laid out in the bulletin, and you can follow along with that. Um, it's not really an outline, I don't think. It's uh, just a list of statements that goes from one to, ne- to the next to the next, trying to be very logical, very reasonable, and at, at the same time, very simple. Um, on the front of the bulletin is the phrase uh, where you can find simple, authentic faith. We want to find that not everything in Scripture is easy. I wouldn't say everything is simple, but when we see simple principles, we want to follow those uh, we don't want to deviate from the simple things, for sure. When it comes to difficult things, we try to figure things out. Then we gotta we got to work and think a little harder. And there's a thought in the lesson today that kind of hits on that. A thought that's like, well, this, this little question I have now is not so simple. So we're going to get to that point. But when something is laid out in Scripture and it says it, you follow it. You do what it says. That's simple. We want to do that. We are a body of Christ that that is, we want that to determine, to dictate who we are is that the scripture says it, we do it. We follow it. That is a very simple thought. And I think in this sermon, this this lesson that we have that's laid out here, these thoughts and notes, it's pretty simple. And I like that. I love simple. I'm a simple person. I like simple. So let's keep it simple as much as possible and follow those things. And when we start to struggle with things, let's work together to figure it out and discuss those issues along the way. So here's the simple thought. Number one, uh, there is one church built on one foundation. And you, if you want to look through these, this is where we already talked about last week. You can look up the the scriptures that are listed here, this is 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. We're actually going to come back, um, well, no, we come back to, we don't come back to that, for, sorry. All right. The church belongs to Jesus. One church with one foundation, it belongs to Jesus. And Jesus is, in fact, the foundation of the church. That's, it's him. The church belongs to him. That's why on the outside of our building it says, Church of Christ You can call that a name if you want to, but really it's a description of the people who meet here. We are the church that belongs to Jesus. That's who we are. We are Christ's church, the church of Christ, God's church, God's people. We are the flock, the fold of God. All right, so just a description. The church belongs to Jesus. Next, the church has Jesus as its head. Jesus, in other words, is the authority over the church. Established in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Colossians 1, 18, and also the authority of Christ given to his apostles, handed down then to us, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The church has Jesus as its head, its authority. The church consists of many churches. Don't get confused by this one. It's going to go on. The next few statements are going to clarify what this means. But the church consists of many churches. We are simply one of those churches, one of those congregations. 
a group of people meeting in a particular place, but we are part of the large church, the one church. Each church is autonomous, independent. That's the teaching of Scripture. Titus 1.5, Revelation 2, um, chapters 2 and chapters 3, puts this, um, churches, congregations as individual groups. And we're going to see this clarified more today because we're going to talk about the elders that reside, that rule over individual congregations. Each one is independent of the other. Each church follows the same teaching. So though we are in each church and each congregation is independent of other churches, that doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. It means that we are all responsible for following what Christ, the head, the authority, has told us to do. So individual congregations, though they are autonomous and independent of each other, will still very much look like each other because we're following the same thing. We have the same mind. One one teaching, one word. Each church consists of saints. So here's part of the teaching that we all follow, and now we're getting a little bit now into closer to what we might think of with church organization. Who are we? How are we governed? And by the way, it's interesting to me that if you go online and search what is scriptural, the scriptural organization of the church, what is, how it, should Christ church be organized, how should Christians be organized, um, the articles you find are written largely by people who associate with churches of Christ. You don't find a lot of um, instruction, a lot of just looking at scripture to figure out organization of the church. You don't find a lot of articles about it, which is interesting to me. But anyhow, when you start learning about the church organization, well, the organization, the the church itself, we we are just members of the body of Christ We are all saints. The church consists of saints. We are all saints here. Those of us who have been immersed into Christ, that means that we have been set apart, made holy, raised up to this new holy life that we have in Christ. We are a part of His church and we are saints. Every one of us are saints. It just means we've been sanctified, sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That's what a saint is. You look at scripture for the understanding of saint instead of going to men to teach you what a saint is. You'll find out that anybody who's been immersed into Christ, having faith in him, you're raised up, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to, oh, I'm going through this. I've got all these. I forgot I had my, um, dun, 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 dun. I'm glad I put all this work into that, right? <laughs> so there's that. That was last week's sermon. All those things. Just logical proceeding from one to the next, one point to the next. One church, kind of Jesus is the head, a lot of congregations, each congregation built up of saints, individual members. Let's see, organization of the church. Now let's learn a little bit more about this organization. Next point I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about the saints, each one of us who are in Christ. 
All saints are one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. We're all together. We're all equal. We're all part of the body. We're joined together. We're all important, all one. So let's establish this by a couple of scriptures here. First of all, Galatians chapter 3, uh, 27 and 28. And I hope if, if you need to go back and look at these later, I hope you'll look at these scriptures and consider them all. Make sure that they're being used correctly because we only want to speak the things that are in scripture. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one. The, you know, it even has this idea of the slave and the free man. They're, hey, you're still equal. You're all one in Christ. You know, male, female, doesn't matter. You're one in Christ. Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. You're one in Christ. We are all equal. All the saints are one in Christ Jesus. The second passage from Romans chapter 12, verse number 5, and we're going to stick around in this passage, Romans 12, for just a moment, too, for the next point. But in Romans 12, verse 5, it says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And this goes back to the thought of, hey, there's just one church in the world. One church, one body of believers that belongs to Jesus. Those believers are scattered everywhere throughout the world and every one of those, those church members who are saints in Christ Jesus, we're all one. We're all equal. I don't care if we're worshiping here in in uh, Covington, Kentucky, or if you're worshiping in the Philippines, we're all one in Christ. All the saints are equal. And we're all one in Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. That's one of the things uh, the saints who uh, are in India, they love that. That's one of the compelling thoughts about Christianity is that everybody's equal because they have these caste systems where socially you got the elites and then you got the outcasts and maybe some people in between. I don't know what they are. They're called caste. I know that, right? Charity, you never got to go there, did you? Wanted to. Had friends over there. But uh, it's, you know, with Jesus, you come to Jesus and all those things suddenly don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You're one in Christ. When we, that's one of the things I love about our authentic, when I mentioned simple, authentic faith. This is where you can find simple, authentic faith. We have a mix of people here in this congregation, but it doesn't matter economically, racially, whatever you want to put in there. I don't care. We're all one in Christ. We're all part of one family. What a joy. What a beauty there is. And this is an important piece to the church. The organization dictates that there isn't somebody high up who is telling everybody else what to do. We're all one in Christ. That's really cool. All right, so we're all one. Let's keep moving then. Uh, next uh, statement is that all the saints have different roles. So we're all equal, but we might have different tasks, different things that we do. All right? 
And so your, your temptation might be to say, hey, look at the preacher. He gets to proclaim the word of God, and I'm not like that. I don't get to do that, so I'm not equal. He's better than me. No, that's not, and I, I hope nobody would even think that, but that's an example, right? But that's not the case. We all have different roles to serve. We all have different gifts. God has put us where we need to be, and we need to step up to live within those proper roles that God has given to us. Everybody, all the saints have different roles. So continuing in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. For just as we have many many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. By the way, I should explain this here. He is talking about the physical body. The analogy of our physical body, um, He use, Scripture uses, Paul uses um, on occasion, and just as he said that Christ was the head of the church, means he's the head, he's the, he's the thought part, he's in control. All right, and so here he's talking about the church in regards to the whole body. Jesus is the head of the church, and the rest of the members, I have hands and feet, arms and legs, and, and I got a backbone and a heart and all that. You know, we all, we've got different parts to our body. And the church is like that. We have different parts serving different functions. Verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each one of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And there are several different gifts that are listed here. And they're all important. And some of you have different gifts like these. Some of you are servant-oriented. You'll serve, serve, serve. Some are givers, and you'll give, 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 and support others. And some are leaders, and you lead. And some have are mercy givers, and you show mercy and love people. Um, so those are the different gifts. But we're still all equal we're all one in christ and all those gifts that we have different functions that we serve according to our gifts then we work together better as the body of christ so understanding our spiritual gifts is so important so we can function within the body and know our place within the body and serve in that serve our function our use our gift to help the church so All the saints are one in Christ Jesus, we're all equal, and all the saints have different roles to play, different functions, as it says here. I wish I'd use that word functions, it's more spiritual, more uh, scriptural. So all the saints have different functions within the church. All right, let's keep moving. Next statement, churches are to be overseen by the elders who meet qualifications. Now, I do want to back up. I I noted this. I mentioned this one. In verse number 8 of Romans chapter 12, it says, He who leads with diligence. So it does talk about leaders, even in that passage. And as we turn to um, the next thought, then churches are to be overseen. 
And there are other places where you can see the word ruled, but there is just this, this word overseeing that is used is very good. It's like a shepherd overseeing his flock. They'll be overseen by elders. Another name for elders is going to be a shepherd, one who watches over the flock. We're going to see these words used interchangeably here in a moment. So churches are to be overseen, and you could consider this as being led by elders who have met specific qualifications. So let's go to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason... For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Appoint elders. That was the instruction. This is what Paul did as he went from place to place. And he tells Titus, hey, I want you to go and establish or excuse me, appoint elders in every place. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, it is, and this is a long one, but I want to read it all because this is all the instruction about elders. Some of the ideas of what are the requirements that an elder must have to be able to be appointed to an office, the office of overseer, as it says here. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So there you have it. There's the discussion. The churches are to be overseen. They're called overseers. They're called elders, ones who are older, mature Christian men who are falling. They have families. They have all these wonderful attributes that they fulfill. They are wonderful, respectful Christian men who follow Christ and are able to teach. So, churches are to be overseen by these men. They are to go around, Titus was told, go around to appoint elders in every place. Elders oversee the church. They're going to make sure, um, and I don't have a ton of this, you know, we could do several sermons on elders. But they are to oversee the church to make sure they stay close to Christ, that they are staying in the fold, that they are following the teaching that has been authorized by Christ Jesus. They're not there, and we'll mention this in a second, I guess, but they're not there just to kind of boss people around. It's not what an elder is. 
They're to oversee, keep the church, truly the church of Christ. To follow the ways of Christ. So, let's consider something else. we got another statement then. Um, each church must have, really being more specific about the organization of the church now, the governance of the church. Christ is the head. And then when you get down here locally to how a church is to be, how a church, you've got the saints, they're all equal, but some of those equal members are to rule over the others in Christ. Each church must have a plurality of elders that rule over only that congregation. So here is, you know, kind of... Uh, Opening up a lot of information truly here in this statement that each church, so one congregation, you got the one big church, but when you get to the individual churches, the lower, the local congregation, each church must have a plurality of elders that rule over, excuse me, that they rule over, um, Oh, excuse, each church must have a plurality of elders that rule over only that congregation. I do have it right. For a second, I thought I had a typo in here. You only, elders, and it takes more than one. When we say plurality, it's more than one elder. Two is a plurality. Three is even better. You know, four, five, six, the more elders you can have, I think probably the better. But let's look at the scriptures to establish this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And here is Peter. This is a letter that's written to many churches that are scattered around. All, it's going out to a lot of congregations. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. But the main thought that I want to, there's a bunch of stuff in here about elders, but the main thought is that the elders' role, the overseer's role, is to shepherd the flock of God. That's to provide care and help and make sure they are staying within the fold. We are a flock. If we uh, start not following Christ, that means we are straying. We are straying from the flock. We need a shepherd to keep us in. So we must make sure that there are, notice it's a plurality. I exhort the elders among you, um, and he mentioned some things, shepherd the flock of God among you. It is, uh, w- there, he's talking to many different places, but he says, wherever you're at, whatever elder I'm talking to, you shall shepherd the flock that's in your place. You don't, it's not, there isn't one shepherd who's shepherding a bunch of flocks. It doesn't seem like he's establishing that, does he? You shepherd, there's elders everywhere. Make sure you're shepherding the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight. There is some leadership taking place here. 
and it's willing. You're not doing it just so you can make money. Sometimes elders can be paid. Scripture supports that. But you do it because you want to. You care about God's people. You care about God's word. You want to see God's people follow God's word so they can make their way to heaven. Anything that you can do as an elder, you, uh, you, you care for the people. You love the people. And you love God's word. All right. So, all the saints are equal, but there are some uh, leaders that are to be established. They are to be called elders, and they are making sure the flock of God stays within the word of God and is always cared for. And they don't branch out and start... There's nobody who's supposed to be telling us what to do in this place. We're all independent congregations, and we all answer to Christ. All right, moving on. I do want to say um, that some other passages fit in here with the, in regards to what I just said. This idea that there isn't one shepherd who looks over several different congregations. Matthew, uh, that would be beyond what the scripture has called uh, elders to be in one place. Matthew 23, verses 8 through 11. These are the words um, of Jesus. He says, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. So again here, it puts all people on an equal plane. We're all equal. Don't make one your teacher, don't call him rabbi. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And so though scripture does talk about elders and they are to be leaders, they are truly to be servants of God and servants of the people. Keeping them within the fold, within the, the bounds of Scripture, what it says, we're going to follow Christ and follow His teaching. Um, but we aren't going to establish other offices. And Scripture does talk about elders as an office. It's a place of position, a place of some authority. But we aren't going to establish anybody beyond that. No Pope. No fathers, no, there's no one with all the answers. There is nobody we answer to ourselves here in this congregation. And we don't, we don't think that there is any other man, any other office that's been instituted. We would only follow the guidance of Scripture and the elders in this place. So let us continue with another thought, Colossians chapter 2, and this is a longer one, but it really fits into this idea of you're not going to establish somebody and put them in a position where they can tell people what to do outside of what scripture allows. So elders, make sure that a congregation continues to follow the teachings of scripture, but they do not impose their own rules and commandments. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So it's all saying, you follow scripture. You don't do what men say. You aren't concerned about commandments of men. Follow scripture and you're accountable to it. This congregation is accountable to following Christ, not to what anybody outside of our group here tells us. We are autonomous. Lastly, um, a couple couple of quick things here at the end. Churches may appoint deacons to serve as needed. And this is an interesting one because I consider it, I don't even consider, I'm not sure if I consider it an office like elder, it's an it's listed as an office, but then you also have deacons listed right after it. You have some information. But it seems like deacons are almost like a temporary to serve a specific role. A church has a specific need. They're simply servants. The word deacon means servant. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons likewise... So, in the, so there is that word likewise when it goes from elders previously spoken about and then it talks about deacons, deacons likewise. So there is some, some connection. Maybe that's an idea of an office, maybe an appointment, um, being appointed. But deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to, to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be... First be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So, and you can continue reading through verse 13, but a church can also establish deacons. We're talking about the organization. you got a bunch of members based upon different roles and gifts, um, functions that we can each provide. Uh, people might be appointed as deacons from time to time. And also churches may support a preacher or minister. Uh, one verse to uh, point to this is 1 Corinthians 9.14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. All right, And you look at the entirety of chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians, you can see he's talking about those who go and proclaim the gospel to among the churches. So they can earn their living from the gospel. That would be a preacher, minister, an evangelist. Uh, whatever you'd want to turn them, somebody who is proclaiming the gospel and get their living from doing that. So those are the main points from the large church down to the individual congregations, then each individual congregation, all of equal people. Um, there are elders who can make sure that, the, that are respected among the group, that, uh, that provide the guidance to keep the church within uh, the bounds of Scripture.
uh, to follow Scripture. Uh, I do. I did say I had an interesting, tough question. I like simple things, but if you want to consider a tough question, uh, I've, I've proposed that el- that elders should be established in every place. And the sad thing is, is that we don't have elders here, and that puts us in. The position of why don't we have elders? Do we have people who are able to meet the qualifications, able to serve as elders properly? Uh, and if so, how can we get them placed in that office? And if we don't have a group, a plurality, two or three men who are able to serve that, who meet the qualifications, then if we don't meet that, and we don't have some apostle or some a uh, prophet from ancient times coming around appointing somebody like Paul or Titus or Peter, then what do we do in the meantime? And that is a really, you start looking at Scripture and you start studying, if there aren't elders that meet the qualifications within a local congregation, what do you do? And that's one of these, that is a really complex question. And it sends when I start looking at Scripture and I start reading what other people think and stuff, it really sends my mind spinning. And we, uh, we do the best we can here. And we have men who are willing to lead, who have wisdom. I've seen much wisdom among the men who are willing to step up and be leaders. There's much wisdom. So I'm so grateful to God that we have some wisdom among us and some gray beards among us who... Who, um, and gray hair without the gray beard among us that, uh, that lead. So, but otherwise, that's a tough question. We've gone from simp- some simple teaching to, oh man, what do we do? And we'd better be, learn- and man, I just want to encourage you young people. The church needs leaders, needs godly leaders. Make it your desire and your goal to be an elder someday. To lead God's people. To keep them within the fold. And man, I'm going longer than I need to here today, I know. Um, But young people, love God. Serve Him now. Be faithful to Him so someday you can faithfully serve His church. There's no greater and wonderful calling. It's a beautiful thing. The church needs us to lead. And, um, and the call goes to everybody. We all need to be faithful to Christ so that the church will be healthy and strong and we can all serve as we're called to serve. When a, when a hand, well, I'm going on. Okay, let's go on. I've got to make my final points here. Because the point of the sermon is that we're set apart by scriptural organization. Um, we... We really wish, we long to be scripturally organized in regards to elders, and we've got to work towards that. We've got to. Uh, But it brings me to another point where I can say, but amen to this, that we're we're not caught up in denominationalism, though, which is contrary to the structure that Scripture teaches. So we are set apart from... Uh, we're set apart by scripturally being organized, though we are working towards and desiring to have elders among us, we can say that well, yet we haven't fallen into denominationalism, 
denominationalism comes from men. It's not from Christ. And I spoke on that, um, you know, recently, uh, just that we are, that we desire to be one body of one mind. We're not going to divide. We're not divided. Denominationalism comes from men, not Christ, for it comes from jealousy, strife, and division. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. And brethren, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able to, not able to drink the solid food, to eat the solid food, that is. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So separating and saying, I follow this person, I follow this person, I follow this doctrine, we follow this creed, we follow that creed, that's all separating ourselves. We're following other doctrines, other men, we're just mere men, and it's because there was... There was strife and jealousy among people at some point, And they said, I'm not going to be with you guys. I'm going to go over here and we're going to have our own name. 1 Corinthians, a little bit earlier, verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, says this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is where we had our sermon from a few weeks ago. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Kind of silly questions. He's making a point. Christ is not divided. The church is not to be divided. And if we are to be a part of the one church, then we need to follow the one way. And that means we are organized like Scripture tells us. And that is following these principles where we're just all members of Christ. Where we um, are all equal, have some different roles, and one of those roles is that there are leaders among us, shepherds who keep us in the faith. And that's about the extent of scriptural organization. That's simple, and it's clear. And we must follow that. I do love that now there's a... Um, the tendency among the denominations is that they say, well, they, they think different than us, but they're still going to go to heaven too. Um, that's not how they started. <laughs> you believe this, you're going to hell, we're going to separate from you because we're the only ones who are right. Well, that's, that was a long time ago. We didn't witness that. But I love the, the unity that's afoot among all who claim to be in Christ, and I pray that God's Spirit will continue to guide people away from denominationalism and just where we can all just be Christians. And we can have describe ourselves as the Church of Christ, God's people, God's flock, all those wonderful descriptions that Scripture gives us and not separate ourselves by name. But we are going to be set apart in this place by following the good book. So to 
and the call to Jesus, I just want to encourage you. It's all about following the good book because we love Christ. Jesus loves you so much that he died to save you. Love him back. Love him by giving him your life. You do that in baptism. You die and are raised up. Raised up to a new life and you are added to the church. God adds you to the church when you die and you're raised up. You're part of the sanctified body of Jesus. Then follow all his ways, all your life, and including in that following him, follow the scriptural organization of the church. But if there's anybody here today you need to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do it. Get a hold of me at the close of our service. Call me later. Get a hold of somebody else and say, I need Christ. I encourage you to do that. Do not delay. We're now going to remember Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in the taking of the communion. And Brother uh, Richard Prince is going to lead us in those thoughts.